what's so interesting about Chengdu is that it's sort of the capital of, of cool with Chinese characteristics. It's it's a style of cool and and culture that young people are creating that isn't trying to be Western. Hello everyone, this is Mengfei Li from Beijing, China, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Now you're listening to the special series of podcasts with covering American Embassy Literature Festival in 2021. Now just a quick reminder, The Missing Piece is dedicating some of the episodes to invite amazing American authors, speakers, and international business experts to share their work across the contemporary literature field. Today's guest, he is going to share the latest insights on China and the younger generations. Really the question is, how are the younger generations today in China making the noises not only domestically, but internationally? Zach Dishwald is the author of Young China, and he's the founder of Young China Group, a market insights company. He has committed his last decades to developing people-first bridges between China and the wider world. At the age of 31, his work has been featured in Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, BBC, and many other platforms. Zach, welcome to my show. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Zach, this is a very exciting period. And when I say exciting, not only is you are one of the honorable guests that we have for the Literature Festival, but also this is a very special and unique period for the country of China. And since you wrote a book called Young China, and we're going to get to that for a second, but I want you to really dive into how would you describe the younger generations today? And and again, I ask this question to many people who have been living in China and who are Chinese experts or, you know, they uh, uh, always travel between the world and China. But today, the younger generations today are changing. And not only they're changing themselves, but also they're changing the country. So again, from your perspective, Zach, how would you describe the younger generations in China in the year of 2021? Sure. So there, there's, a, there's a couple major buckets that come to mind that would describe these younger generations. And the first is scale. I mean, the si- you have to sort of understand the size of this uh, young generation, particularly coming if you're coming from the United States. So I'm an American millennial. There's a lot of to-do about American millennials. There's about 80 million of us. Uh, in China, there are 400 million millennials. That's five times more than we have in the United States. It's actually more than the population of the United States and Canada combined. Uh, and then, of course, if you go to Gen Z and younger, you're talking about really large populations. China has over 700 million people under the age of 40. Uh, and, you know, as I'm creeping up in age, I was, I was 24 when I began writing Young China. 31 now so i might have to you know the next book might be called middle-aged china Um, but the scale of this the scale of this population is really important um next i i would focus on competitive um you know i think in america we focus so much on u.s china competition what we overlook is the china china competition Mm. the project of childhood is fundamentally different in China. What a childhood is used for 
uh, what how time ought to be spent, uh, how parents perceive their what what sort of style of learning and education their their children feel like they they should be going through. And this is evolving actually dramatically right now in China as as millennials are becoming parents themselves. But this the level of competition within China, the amount of pressure on on young people in China is far greater than I've seen, particularly in, in Western cultures. And the last word I'll 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 choose today, Mengfei, is is the is the word pride. And I think as Americans, we actually might be well situated to understand this better than anyone else in the world. You know, we're we're a very proud nation in a lot of ways. Uh, this young generation, different than past generations, is proud to be Chinese. Uh, and and it's it's tempting for Americans to write that off as a government issue. You know, there's a lot of um, sort of baggage we have when we when we consider Chinese China's government. Uh, but this young generation feels like they've witnessed one of the greatest sort of Cinderella stories in their in the history of economics. Uh, isn't it ironic that the world's biggest communist party has created one of the most incredible capitalist revolutions, really, uh, since capitalism was sort of invented? And this young generation, though they recognize that their government is flawed, often deeply flawed, um, they feel a lot of pride in their country. And to add one one small idea to that, I think one of the other sort of pieces of baggage that Americans should put down when they think about the Chinese people is that for a lot of people in China, they don't think about the government when they think about their country. They think about their uncles who when they were growing up, were, were proud to bring sort of a bicycle home in the early 1990s mm. and now have a two-car two, two car garage. They think of their village turning into a town, turning into a city. It's a change that they've witnessed in really personal terms. So these aren't macro geopolitical movements. These are the the evolutions of a home and a family. And and they feel proud of that, which, which they, of course, have a right to. Well, Zach, again, I know that you spent good amount of time in China, again, traveling and witnessing the changes. You know, one thing I like to point out is today, it's so fascinating that, uh, let's say, the music that the younger generations are listening to, and not just, when I say music, and not just the music that really uh, you fit in the word contemporary, but also they fit into certain cultures, so that's number one. Number two is after moving back to Beijing from the States, and I realized that younger generations today, they're really passionate about creating something brand new. So in other words, most of the time when I sit down with the younger generations and when I sit down with the younger audience, I have to say or I have to admit that, Zach, I was amazed and even astonished about the creativity of the young people today in China. That's number one. Number two is, we always say the world today, again, look at the calendar. It's no longer 1949. It's no longer 1987, but it's 2021. The country, it's so vibrant, and the country, it's so international. So the question to you, Zach, do you think that younger generations today in China, they're actually pushing more internationalism or they are purposefully trying to elevate, uh, elevate China into this international stage. What is your take on this? So, Mengfei, I have a little bit of a different take than, than sort of what you're putting out. So, so first, 
yes, this young generation is far more international than the older generations in China. But you have to remember that the older generations in China had no ability to go abroad for the most part. Mm. If you were to come to the United States in the in the early 1990s when this younger generation was was born or was beginning to be born, uh, you'd be an economic refugee. You know, even today, and I think this is one of the things that people don't understand. So China is the largest outbound traveler by spend in the world, and this is pre-COVID. So they're the largest outbound traveler in the world in terms of the amount people are actually spending and the way that they're changing the international travel economy. And so there's this big, there's a lot of hype around around China being an, an international nation, and that's true. But only around 10% of the population has a passport. And so while places like Beijing and Shanghai, and Shanghai in particular, you know, I sort of blame Shanghai for for misleading a lot of the Western world because because that's sort of where people land, but. Um, those places are, are increasingly international, but there's huge swaths of, of China that isn't. And, you know, you mentioned music. I, I spent most of my time and, and actually I'm really thrilled to be um, getting ready to move back to Chengdu. Chengdu is the capital of Sichuan province. It's, mm. it's known for sort of pandas and spicy food. But in China today, it's known for rap. It's known for rap and, and, and hip hop and, um, and, and art and dance uh, and, and a lot of that creativity that you're describing. And what's so interesting about Chengdu is that it's sort of the capital of, of cool with Chinese characteristics. It's it's a style of cool and, and culture that young people are creating that isn't trying to be Western. So I, I think of Shanghai as sort of the capital of international China. I think of Beijing as the capital of government China. I think of Shenzhen as the capital of of hardware China and Beijing, I would also say is probably investment China. Mm. Um, and I think of Chengdu as the capital of the rest of China, because so much of, of the sort of modern cool culture uh, that's that's arising and 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 spreading throughout the country comes from a, comes from Chengdu. And so while it looks international on its face, you know, rap is not rap is not traditionally uh, Chinese, and there's people who sort of make jokes of their styles of performance and in in. in in Chinese history that are kind of like Chinese rap, but it's not, you know, that's not, that's not what, you know, I grill or some of these other guys are, are putting out into the, you know, the higher brothers. Um, and if you hear, by the way, some noise behind me, this is the musical stylings of, of rural Mexico. So, so forgive me. Um, but, but if you actually listen to the lyrics that, that a lot of Chinese rappers are putting out, it's not the same rap. It's not the same messages. It's not the same feeling um, of the West really at all. And so I think this is one of the things that misleads a lot of like, the international business community in, in particular is that a lot of the buzzwords look the same. Mm. Well, I'm going to, a lot of the buzzwords look the same. You know, a lot of the culture looks the same. Um, a lot of the, it looks like millennials are getting more and more similar and young people and Gen Z are getting more and more similar, which is, which is true to a certain extent. But the actual articulation of those buzzwords, you know, the me generation, um, the social media generation, uh, these are all true of, of young people in both places. But the, but the way those actually manifest are so different in China uh, versus, versus the United States or Western Europe. It's so interesting, Zach. And you mentioned right now you are traveling and also, of course, that you are uh, uh, only a, a temporary stay that in Mexico and if I'm not mistaken I remember a year ago I actually met 
one of the exchange students and he was born and raised in Mexico and he came to China to study business programs. And then when I had a conversation with him and I said, hey, uh, what, what inspired you to China? You know, what brought you to China? And again, you know, I will say his age about in his early 20s or give and take. And he was just to say, I feel like the competition between China and the rest of the world is getting more intense. So in other words, if I don't get to really the heart of the competition, I, I'm afraid that I might lose the game even at the, the uh, beginning of the, uh, the, uh, the game. So in other words, Zach, I want to talk about the next word you mentioned before. It's called pride. Now, if I'm not mistaken, compared with the older generations, for example, my parents, they were born in the early 60s. And, and you know this as well as I do is according to the Chinese culture, you're supposed to be humble, you know, and you're supposed to really not to brag about yourself or not to talk about your success or achievement. But look at the younger generations. Look at the people today. I feel I feel like this is the table has turned. So when we use the word pride, people are so proud of their success and people can't wait to use the 21st century technology or technological platforms to show off their achievement. Now, Zach, from your perspective, is that something positive or that's something that need to be go back to the tradition? What is your opinion on this? Well, I, I can't pretend to be able to to choose the this sort of moral direction of an entire country. <laughs> I mean, personally, I, I, um, I, I think it's, it's, you know, social media is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, and so if you're going to ask me, what do I think creates sort of like a, a healthy mental diet of, of what makes somebody, you know, better, better disposition to, to sort of enter the world, I'm going to say less, less screen time, but you know, young people in China spend twice as much time on on their phones. As that's right. In the US. That's, that's right. Not, that's not all. There, there, there's good statistics for that too. Like it's it's pretty incredible. And so, like, I yeah, I, I don't think it's my job to to sort of moralize here. What I can say is that um, I think it's part of the you know it's a bit of Americanism, frankly, that's come into China. There's with the the a thriving private sector and with the amount of entrepreneurialism you're seeing in China. Um, you know, one of the one of the main features of American entrepreneurialism is you kind of have to tell people when you're doing something. That's uh, right. And particularly with like WeChat business and and some of the other, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of loudness uh, to be entrepreneurial. And and I think China has taken that up, which is and you're right, it's a little bit antithetical to some of the more traditional Chinese values. Um, but it could just be the price you have to pay in a in an incredibly competitive society to let people know that you're doing something that's worthwhile. Or trying to do something that's worthwhile, or aspiring to do something that's worthwhile, and if somebody would just give you the opportunity, then then you'd really be able to hit it out of the park. So, um, you know, it it might be the price of modernity, it might be the price of entrepreneurialism in a more entrepreneurial society, mm. uh, a competitive society, and I, you know, part of me mourns the loss of of something simpler, but I think if we just spent our time mourning the loss of of things that have passed, uh, we'd we'd have had we would have had a very disappointing last 20 years and have missed some of the you know more incredible uh, evolutions of society and culture exactly now zach let's talk about your book 
you wrote a book called Young China. <laughs> you know, first of all, again, um, I do want to remind all our listeners and or all the audience who's uh, who are actually listening to this episode. Again, it doesn't matter if you know Zach in person or not. Please, as soon as you finish listening, go to the bookstore, go to Amazon, or you can even order the book in China, and pick up this copy because it's really one of the good read that in my life that as a journalist that I find out. It's a good book. Now, with that said, Zach, you are not the first author wrote a book about China and uh, focusing on the younger generations. And I'm sure you won't be the last one. And as we mentioned before, you know, uh, later on, probably you're going to write another one uh, about the middle age China. But anyway, what inspired you to write about this book and entitled Young China? And from the literature perspective, again, this is really... Uh, uh, under this literature festival is what inspire you to pick specific characters in the book to be the protagonist or to be the characters that you think actually represents the generations talk tell us a little bit well first thank you for the thank you for the kind words on the book you know you put a lot of heart and soul into a book and and books are not the most fun to do uh so whenever anyone enjoys them um or it sort of changes the way they see the world. It's uh, it's a pretty special thing. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, so you kind of landed on it with what my focus was for Young China in the in your last sentence, which is to choose representative stories. I am not a journalist, mm. and one of the issues I have with with a lot of journalistic coverage of China. And by the way, there's you know massive respect for journalists. Um, part, of, you know, part of why I'm not a journalist, I don't think I can cut it as a journalist. <laughs> but um, a lot of the, the news cycle is sort of incentivized to find exceptional pieces of China, real outliers. And so the, the view a lot of people outside of the country have of China is sort of, you know, primarily of government. Or when they are looking at people, it, it's these, it's sort of the exception. So you have like super rich, super poor, you know, Maserati, dra Maserati driving Fuardai or like dog eating festival in Guizhou. Um, you, you know, you have a version of China that's, that's garish. It's clickable. You know, mm. it's the stuff that's going to be drawing people's attention. And so what I was trying to do is, you know, basically after, after a couple of years of, 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 trying to get as deep into China as I could, primarily in second-tier cities, and all my roommates were Chinese. I was really trying to shift again to get back to this idea of mental diet, trying to shift my mental diet to, to Chinese in China. It became clear to me that that what was missing in a global understanding of China was, was the average. You know, so much of our news focused on those exceptions. I was much more interested in the regular almost the boring sort of the rhythms of daily life. And, and so trying to choose average stories um, that were representative of, of larger phenomena within China, that would, that would put sort of flesh and bone to, to what was otherwise a sort of scary image of China that gets projected out into the world. Um, again, this people first view of China, that was the most important thing to me. If I, you know, I, I tried to choose stories where I could switch out the main character with 10 other people uh, and the story would still remain true. Uh, you know, a lot of it was founded in how I selected stories was founded in, in of course, research and data and, and then trying to find an anecdote and, and, and sort of a subject for a chapter that was, that was, again, more regular than exceptional. And in that regularity, I thought, you know, you could, you could really touch people's hearts and, 
also create actual understanding, right? Uh, real understanding. So that that was the goal. Well, Zach, you know, again, I can agree with you more because like, how can I say every time when you look at people in China, you know, again, the other day, um, I just talked to uh, another author and she wrote a book, especially about the conversations that she heard while traveling in China. You know, so again, it's not the big conversation happening on TV or not the uh, broadcasting news uh, on the uh, state-owned media, but it's really the day-to-day -day conversation among the citizens in China. So that's how she pick up the pieces and turn it into uh, a, a good, uh, or how can I say, a well-written uh, masterpiece. But anyway, Zach, let's talk about the next thing is we're looking at the country today. And of course, this the entire world experienced this pandemic. But meanwhile, we also learn something about ourselves, you know, regardless of your nationality and regardless what kind of background or kind of environment that you grew up, this pandemic indeed taught us something. Now, to, to you is, I know that you are not a journalist, but again, if, if anyone want you to talk about post-pandemic China or uh, a post-pandemic, the uh, this rising storm a star uh, uh, China as a country, what are the key elements that you are focusing on or you would like to focus on as part of this literature? Yeah, if I were to, if I were to home in on one thing and, and with Young China Group, you know, I, I formed Young China Group, my, my organization, basically to be able to bring a little bit more resources to the same questions I was trying to ask in Young China. So for me, it's really a continuation of, of the same work and inquiry and, and exploration. So, so what I've been focusing on a lot is this question that frankly was being asked pre-COVID, but you know, is COVID a disruptor or an accelerant? In this case, it's definitely an accelerant, mm. which is what's worth it? What is worth it to young people? Mm. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, what, you know, what backpack or, or belt do people want to buy? I don't really care about that. Uh, the interesting part is there's this questioning now of the track of sort of work hard, work longer, you know, nine, nine, six, uh, try to, try to get his head, try to get ahead as much as you can move to the biggest cities in China, grind, grind, grind. Um, there's a lot of young people who are now really for the first time in the last 20, 30 years asking, you know, what is this all for? What is this, what is this extra 10 hours of wage at the end of the month going to get me? Uh, is it better to live in a small apartment in a big city or a big apartment in a small city? Mm. Um, why do I want this sort of uh, this particular luxury good or, or, or something that's going to you know, allow me to socially posture a little bit more? Um, there, there's this questioning of, of what was sort of taken for granted as the point of it all. You know, there is there's there's a, a month in when I was writing the book where I just went around asking people one question, which is, does China have religion? And the most common answer I got was a joke, but you know, a, the truth is that in jest, right? The answer was money. Hmm. Um, and and I think there's a certain truth to that, you know, for for parents and grandparents that yes. grew up in deep, yes. real poverty. Uh, you were moving from subsistence to existence, to getting to getting your family fed, to being to creating a safe home for them, to getting people educated, uh, which is an incredible push. Um, and so, money really did represent a certain amount of faith. And I think now, again, appropriately, 
this young generation is 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 realizing that maybe that's not going to make them happy or maybe it's not you know maybe there are diminishing returns after a certain point mm. um, and and maybe there are different facets of life peace of mind health and wellness you know by the way themes that a lot of people are considering globally after covid or during covid for for a lot of us um these uh feel far more present uh, in the minds of young people when, when, when we're doing interviews throughout the country uh, digitally now for me but for for the folks we have on the ground there it's still in person um those sorts of questions to me are, are some of the most interesting because they represent real shifts in the sort of tectonic plates of a of a of a society and 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 sort of collective psychology mm. Well, Zach, I know you're fairly busy, and of course, you're traveling on the road. I have one more question before letting you go. And the last question would be, again, as we mentioned before, there are so many books and there are so many pieces written out about China, you know, from all spectrum. We talk about economy, we talk about social changes, we talk about younger generations, and again, on and on and on. But from your perspective that you have such a zeal and passion for this country, and again, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned that you would love to move back to Chengdu because this is where really that, where you found the niche where you found the drive. But for anyone that who really want to know China better or has never been to China, what are some of the steps that you think they should take in order to know the country besides reading the books, turn on the news, or uh, or get in touch with the social media, what would be the most realistic step or was realistic ways to really know China from the truthful perspective? How would you answer that? Oh, gosh. So, you know, when I first started to really love China, there was basically two steps. Mm. Um, the, the first one was I took... I took a lot of trains throughout the country as an exchange student. Um, you know, I went to the I, I went to Columbia, but I did exchange at University of Hong Kong mm. and traveled pretty extensively throughout mainland China by you know the slowest trains possible because there's definitely <laughs> a correlation between speed and price. That's right. And, um, and so, and with that, you're 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 you know you're sort of shoulder to shoulder or bunk to bunk with 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 a much different person than, you know, the, 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 the people who, who fill up the Shanghai bars or whatever it is that most people interact with. And, um, and again, not to be dismissive of that, but it, um, you, you know, leaving Shanghai and leaving these big sort of tourist centers and, and interacting with, with just sort of the average person. Um, what, what you'll notice is that the guest host relationship is very intact in China. I, I was going through sort of my early journals and, um, I remember writing this down because there's, I think of this as sort of like this, this Grecian, you know, this, I, I remember this from the Odyssey growing up, the, the, of course, the, the epic, that this idea that you have to sort of look after your guests, that, that, that's something I sort of imagine as, as being sort of Greco-Roman. It's very much intact in China. And so I, I was really the beneficiary kind of, of my own ignorance at the beginning when, when my lang language skills weren't that good and I was just sort of wandering around the country. Um, people invite me to meals. They'd invite me to sit down with them for, for tea, to, you know, to, to drink, wow. um, to, to eat, you know, what, what, to, into their homes. And um, it, it came from a really curious, sincere, honest place. Mm. And, you know, I don't think I would have written Young China and taken the time 
and sort of gone through the pain of book writing. You know, there's some people who, who probably make writing look easy. I am not one of those people. Um, I love books, though, and I believe that they're, they're a, an incredible medium to communicate something far more, sort of more human and, and the deeper currents of, of humanity. Um, and so if, if I, would, I wouldn't have done that if it weren't for all those people who had made the effort for me uh, within the country. And so, you know, practically speaking, it's pretty easy just to get lost in China for a week. And I, I would totally recommend that. And for those of you who can't um, get lost in a book, you know, I know this is a liter- literature festival. When, when, the last week of my study abroad fest or my study abroad festival, it did sort of feel like a festival. From well, it's it's always so a I celebration guess. for the last week, right? Think of, <laughs> think about when you're in college, you have the finals and wow that that is coming to the end so you worth a celebrating there you go yeah for sure i had a, I had a professor who um who was handing out books on the last day wow three copies of, of this book and whoever answered questions right they'd get a book and i happened to skip this class quite a lot totally <laughs> Um, it was a lot of other study abroad students, you know, I was doing the reading on my own and I was taking the time to sort of explore Hong Kong. And then I would, I'd be taking the train to Shenzhen quite a lot. Um, and, and I just loved that. And I thought that was more important than, than the books, but I, you know, I, not, not the books, I'd be doing the reading. So I was answering these questions, right. And I was, I was sort of the only one cause there, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the most an intensive class. Um, and finally by like the fifth question I answered, right. He, he, he caved and, and gave me a book. And that book was Peter Hessler's Oracle Bones. Mm, of and, course. Um, I, I have to tell you that it took me a little while to get through Oracle Bones, but once I sort of once I sort of got some momentum, I loved it. And then, of course, got to Rivertown. And as sort of a young person who was very much wandering through my own uh, vision of, of what was of, of how a youth ought to be spent, Rivertown really captured my imagination. And obviously, that's sort of that's sort of based in the Chongqing, Sichuan, right? Uh, that area of China, and um, and so that human. I mean, Peter Hessler is there's there's no one better than than what than Hessler at creating a people first perspective on right. China, and the rest of us are just sort of imitators in a way, and um, and so yeah, so so getting lost in a book and 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 reading some of the greats and and then trying to update that though. It was sort of, you know, I think Hessler was 96 through 98. Mm. So, um, you know, for, for, for Rivertown, I, I think Young China is at least an attempt to try to get at some of similar themes that he was touching on. Um, and there's a lot of great writers today. So, yeah, I would say support, you know, read read the books, watch, um, listen, listen to the podcast for the smaller bites and being willing to sort of get into the deeper currents of humanity through, through some of these stories that are, that are more representative and human than, than sort of the scintillating headlines that we, we so often get distracted by in the day-to-day. Of course, Zach. And you know, the good news is China is going to get bigger and bigger. So based on what you just said, just get lost in China. I think that it's going to take a few more years before you can finally, or before anyone can find the final destination. Well, Zach Dishwald is the author of Young China, and he's the founder of Young China Group. And Zach, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you so much for being part of this festival, and we're looking forward to having you back on our podcast. And again, when you're really starting, or when you really finish the second book, please let us know. We love to see how Chengdu 
this time or in the future change you again. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Mumfei. Thanks for having me.